You're listening to City is Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundation. I'm Rick Enlow, your host, and I'm here with Dave Hillis. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing well, Rick. Good to see you again. And uh, Dave, as president of Leadership Foundations, you are the author of City is Playground, the book that really documented, uh, would you say documented? I would, uh, the 50-year uh, history of Leadership Foundations. Um, and and we're using that incredible metaphor as the the city as a playground and not a battleground as really the framework for our podcast. And at this time of year, as we sort of close out, this is our 72nd podcast, Dave. We are, mm, uh, nice. we're, we're kind of asking ourselves uh, that, you know, kind of re- sort of returning to the holy ground uh, that, uh, that, that metaphor came from. In fact, mm-hmm. you, you were always uh, instrumental in helping me remember about uh, sort of the Zachariah the prophet and uh, kind of where that, that picture came from. Yeah. So again, just a quick um, sort of recap for our hearers who I hope now by this time are, are familiar with this idea, but um, in both the book, uh, but even prior to the book, Rick, uh, my uh, dissertation where I did kind of tried to write down the theology of the leadership foundations. One of the things that surfaced, particularly in the readings of uh, someone like Sam Shoemaker, who wrote 33 books, uh, interviews with Reed Carpenter, of course, who was the founder of Leadership Foundations, and then having many conversations over many, many years with essentially the theological pope of Leadership Foundations, which would be Ray Bakke, mm-hmm. um, a pattern emerged. And it was this idea that the city is a good place, um, not a bad place. That right. it actually is God's idea, not God not having an idea. Uh, that it's actually used symbolically uh, in the scripture, uh, either as a place of flourishing, right? If we uh, get our heads together in the right way, or on the other side, it can be viewed as a place, you know, of, of ultimately non-flourishing. And one of the one of the great meta themes of the scripture as a whole, you know, is this. Jerusalem, Babylon kind of motif that starts in Genesis and ends actually in Revelation. And so when I wrote the book, it was cities, playgrounds or battlegrounds, question mark. Because I think there is a sense that there's agency in this, um, that you can choose to see the city as God's playground. And we believe that that begins to change the way you actually operate in the city. Or, and this is the tragic part, is that you can see it as a battleground, and that will also dictate your behavior. So it was in that context, Rick, that, you know, as I looked at, you know, the over a thousand verses of, of, uh, in the Bible that reference the city, um, you have the great Jeremiah 29 passage that talks about, you know, seek the shalom of the city into which you have been sent, for mm-hmm. in its shalom you find your shalom. Um, and I think that lends itself to some of the work that leadership foundations do. But the one that captured it for me um, was the Zechariah 8 passage. Um, and one of the reasons it captured it for me is it was, I think, the best articulation that we're not talking about an aspect of the city. Um, but when leadership foundations talk about their work, we're talking about the city as a whole. And so what Zechariah 8 says is that, you know, Jerusalem, which at that time was in a pretty hard place, there is coming a time 
when there will be little children playing on your streets in safety and the elderly will be sitting on the porch with cane in hand in safety. And what Zechariah was prescient in his vision was recognizing, and this is still true to this day in the 21st century, that the two most vulnerable populations in any city, anywhere in the world, are of course, the very young and the elderly. And so the notion is that if they are doing well, right, if they uh, have this kind of safety that we're describing, that they're being able to play and enjoy themselves, then that means everything in between the young and the elderly are also doing well. And the mm -hmm. city has actually become a, uh, a place of flourishing. And so the real quick exegesis for us, and this was helped for me by G.K. Chesterton and some others, but that to understand uh, Zechariah 8 is essentially to say, God sees the city as a playground. And for those of us who are gonna do good work, we need to see it in the same kind of way. So always run, Rick, to Joseph Campbell's, you know, the great mythologist, his great statement that, you know, if you want to change the world, change your metaphor. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I would argue, you know, that that's true uh, at every level of life as a parent, right? If you want to raise somewhat healthy kids, it's going to have a lot to do with the metaphor by which you understand them. Are they, you know, images of God, right? That you get a yeah. chance to steward or this, bur this burden, right, that's gonna you know, take scarce resources and make them even more scarce. I mean, everything comes down to that, that mental framework, that metaphor. So that's, you know, the Leadership Foundation's vision. And um, what I think is implied in that is things like, you know, right relationships, right? That, uh, you know, issues of justice, and equity um, are being addressed. Uh, that things like, you know, not just the individual, him or herself, but the system, right, that can impact uh, that individual. All of those things are being addressed uh, through this idea of Zachariah 8 and Sidious Playground. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you reminding me of that. Um, the title was a question because I think mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, every thesis is a question. And including, you know, the thesis uh, that drives our own lives. And I think that, um, yeah. that you know, we, we all tell ourselves stories uh, to explain, you know, what, what's happening, you know, in our world. Um, and sometimes we tell ourselves stories that are, you know, not that, um, you know, really complimentary, even about ourselves, you know, or the way we view ourselves. Sure. But, but, yeah. but primary to that, primary to the stories we tell ourselves are the questions we would ask. And, right. you know, which because that's sort of what's underneath that. And I think that's important to 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 be reminded of that. It's it's um, it's the question is, is the city uh, the way you see it? Is it this or is it that? Because then, yeah. uh, you know, that that begins to that that's the uh, the introductory, um, you know, uh, platform for for what we would begin to tell ourselves. And and as we see the city as a playground, mm -hmm. uh, then we begin to see that. Um, you know, there are those who uh, who are on the margins, but they belong. And uh, right. in our just in our previous podcast, this last uh, episode prior to this one, uh, as we talked to uh, uh, 
Melody, she was this, she was the uh, the director at uh, Proyecto Mole. She was saying that she always talks about communities, not a community, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's it's beyond uh, you know a uh, you know our ethnicity or our uh, you know our particular you know faith group or you know there's all those things are, are included, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's one of the fascinating things we see about Jesus is that he. Um, he he transcended um, just particular groups, and they were always kind of thinking, "Why don't you just hang with just this group, please?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. right. Well, you know, a comment real quick, uh, just with regard to both what you said, Rick, about seeing the city as a playground, and Mel. Uh, again, this is a reminder to everybody about the great truth that Stanley Hauerwas lifted up. Right, that the reason that sight is so important is that Hauerwas' argument is that you can only act within the world in which you see. Mm-hmm. And so the, the factor, right, that is going to determine behavior um, is not, you know, bigger muscle, more gas in your car, um, you know, more money in your bank account. I mean, those things are all nice and helpful, but what's going to determine how you actually act is going to be how you see. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, Rick, I've said this many times before in the, on the podcast, but um, I just can't tell you how many times I've walked into a city with a leadership foundation president, um, or maybe even prior, I should say it this way. Someone will say, hey, you're taking a trip to, you know, Memphis. I said, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, hey, just for what it's worth, the last time I was, you know, beware of Orange Mound, um, right, as they're giving me this advice. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I get picked up, of course, you know, at the Memphis airport by either Howard Eddings or Larry Lloyd. And of course, where's the first place we had? It's Orange Mount. Um, and I am, you know, deaf, dumb and, you know, stupid enough to kind of say, hey, you know, I mean, it's safe. And um, but, you know, seeing it through their eyes, you know, this is this is home. This yeah. is this is what the playground looks like. And they'll point out, you know, this person who lives here and that business owner who lives there. and you know, the perception I started with and the perception I end with is completely different, but it all comes down to how you see it. I mean, Abhishek Gear does the same exact thing in a place like Delhi. Um, and, you, you know, you literally, when you walk with him through Delhi, you feel like this place really is a playground. Um, hmm. And you just never had the eyes to see it, right? Yeah. And therefore, your behavior was limited. So. Yeah, well, that is so true, and it's always good to be reminded because uh, that the uh, we talked about this earlier, but that when we um, when we begin to see, it's so connected to what we could imagine. That's right. Yeah, and I think that uh, we've talked about how uh, you know imagination um, is sometimes the first thing to go when we uh, we start to like you know we stop seeing. And I was also thinking about how how many times. The, uh, you know, the stories even of Jesus uh, in, in the ministry uh, of his, you know, three-year kind of uh, itinerant, you know, rabbi ministry, he, how, how many times he talks about blindness and he, he you know, and he encounters blind uh, individuals exactly. and how he took the scroll of Isaiah and said, I've come to, you know, uh, to preach, you know, recovery of sight to the blind. And right. uh, and I think that there's uh, there's such an emphasis in in what Jesus said about the fact that it's it's there you got to see it yeah, yeah you know and it, and you can just be blind you know yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he, I mean, I think that's a great, great reference right there, Rick. And, and, you know, it gets to the end, right? As the scroll from Isaiah and he says, you know, is being done. You know I mean? It's here right now. Yeah. And I can imagine, and I'd be one of these people sitting on the crowd going, where is it? I mean, you know, and just like he said it was here, but where, where exactly is it? I would have been that person who you know, had eyes, but could not see and ears, but could not hear. So, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, uh, a good reminder for sure. Well, uh, we, that's what our podcast is about really is about hearing from, and then, and then being invited to look through uh, the eyes of of those who work in cities around the world, and and today yeah. uh, we have a chance to sit down uh, with Justin Bean from uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, mm-hmm. and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna have him uh, kind of talk to us not only about the city uh, of Grand Rapids, but um, some of the justice work and some of the uh, equity work that uh, that they're involved in at the Center for Community Transformation. But yep. uh, just before I have you introduce. Uh, Justin, uh, for our listeners, let me just uh, squeak in a little, uh, a little uh, kind of invite here. Um, we are, uh, as I mentioned in our uh, 72nd episode, toward the end of this year, and uh, kind of in the thick of the holiday season. And we want to remind you that uh, that we we would love to invite you uh, to consider uh, to be more deeply kind of committed uh, to us at, through a, a year-end financial contribution. Um, as we kind of work our way toward the end of this year, um, we would ask you to just, you know, prayerfully consider um, joining us. And, and it's easy to do. Go to leadershipfoundations.org slash donate. And of course, those are 100% tax deductible donations that go right to the mission uh, to fuel the remarkable leadership and long lasting change in cities throughout the world and to, uh, to continue to support the uh, local leadership foundations around the world. So, um, so we mm-hmm. we uh, invite you to do that, and uh, and I thank you for that uh, in advance. So, Dave, um, tell me about Justin Bean in Grand Rapids. Yeah, I mean, just another um, stellar leader in this you know kind of firmament of local leadership foundation presidents around the world. Um, I've had the chance to know Justin now for. Gosh, the better part of probably 10 years. Um, and he is, um, you know, one of the most articulate, uh, talented uh, leaders that we have. And uh, to sit by Justin, um, and I've been with him uh, in Grand Rapids and had a chance to see his work, um, is to spend basically however long you're there, uh, just going around and going, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I mean, really? You did what with, you know, and just on and on and on. Um, the particular thing with Justin that I think has been, um, you know, wonderful is that oftentimes in leaderships, we talk about, you know, uh, a city as a good city uh, and all the ways that we, you know, talk about a city's goodness, but that it also needs to be a just city. Mm. Um, and that the two are two sides to the same coin, um, right? There's uh, there's oftentimes, I think, people that are working, they're more on the quote-unquote good side, right? It's all about the arts, about, you know, new homes. I mean, this is the gentrification stuff. If we just cleaned up the street, you know, things would be better um, and co- sort of ignore the justice side. Um, 
you've got others that come in kind of on the on the justice side of things. And, you know, um, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. They can be at times, I think, um, you know, confrontive um, and but they forget. Right. They don't see the good. And Justin is that, again, not rare in the sense of leadership foundations, but certainly rare in the sense of others who work in the city where he holds those two things together and mm-hmm. and does it in some ways that really are pretty remarkable. Um, specifically within the justice space, um, he has really worked on this whole idea of equity. Uh, as an African-American man, um, I think he's very, very aware that you know, we can preach, we can teach, we can mentor, we can, you know, go on down the list of good things. But if you don't get uh, front and center with this idea of equity, right, things like economics, you know, things like, you know, race and how it is being dealt with, uh, you can't get to this idea of a good city, a just city. So he's really become one of the leaders um, in the LF network around um, this whole idea. And although we did not get the grant, um, Justin was the lead local leadership foundation uh, that we put a grant together with the Kellogg Foundation um, around uh, equity, justice and equity. Mm-hmm. And it was, again, one of those quote unquote grants that didn't see the light of day. But it was such a strong grant, and it was so wonderful to put it together. Uh, and I think uh, there will be another time when we will be able to resurface this um, as an initiative of local leadership foundations around the world. And it was Justin's local leadership foundation that really took the lead uh, in a similar way that Fresno did, you know, with regard to the Small Business Administration uh, grant. So, mm-hmm. uh, again, Justin is a hero of mine, to be sure. Um, there's, a, again, nothing quite like listening to him uh, both articulate uh, his love for Grand Rapids, uh, but really uh, cities uh, around the world. He spent, uh, he interned in Guatemala City, Joel Van Dyke, and that's kind of where he got his sea legs with regard to coming back to Grand Rapids. So, hmm. um, yeah, just remarkable guy. That's great. Well, let's uh, let's go to that interview with Justin now. City of mine. Justin Bean, uh, here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, and founder of the Grand Rapids Center for Community Transformation or the Local Leadership Foundations of Grand Rapids. Contextually, again, born and raised in Grand Rapids in the, the early 80s and kind of lived in the, you know, in the inner city where there was lots of uh, visible poverty and crime and, uh, you know, prostitution and gang violence. Um, uh, African-American father and uh, white mother. Um, so the kind of racial challenges of being a biracial kid were pretty prevalent for me. Um, father from kind of more, you know, lower income and mother and more 
kind of middle class. And so I kind of always say I lived in two worlds of kind of experiencing uh, two different things within my city, you know, kind of one day standing in a food line and the next day uh, being on my uncle's yacht. Uh, and, and those two realities kind of in my DNA, uh, there was there was something in my wiring that desired, you know, kind of shalom for people in place and um, got into, you know, social work, working with kids in foster care, juvenile justice, uh, urban youth work, employment. Um, and, you know, got frustrated, burned out, uh, left to kind of really study more uh, entrepreneurship and organizational transformation in Central America. And which was in part kind of my introduction to leadership foundations. But um, part of the story was kind of came back and there was a Forbes study that came out about um, my city, you know, saying that despite kind of all the philanthropy, we were the second worst place for African-Americans to live in terms of economics. And um, part of what I st was, was studying is kind of um, collaborative designs, co collaborations that were kind of designed for long-term community and city change and developing these principles that might bring together, you know, for-profits, non-profits, churches. And so that was really the beginning of kind of asking this question is what, what would it look like to have a church, a non-profit, a for-profit, all working together on behalf of their city? And, um, you know, in 2014, we ended up moving in kind of a, a non-profit that I was uh, working for and two social businesses that I had helped start with my brother, along with another for-profit construction company, moved into an old abandoned building and just kept our kind of organizational um, structure, but committed to a collaborative vision. And so the partners kind of have changed a bit, but um, the 33,000 square foot building we now have collectively kind of purchased and, um, and, are living out this vision collectively as the Grand Rapids Center for Community Transformation. Yeah, so there's lots of complex challenges in any context, um, any any city across the globe. And so trying to put your finger on this, how do you get specific enough to say, this is the kind of lever that we wanna pull. And so for me and some of the research uh, and just looking at, hey, since 1965, you know, there's been in the U.S., you know, $20 trillion allocated towards poverty alleviation programs. And, uh, you know, Grand Rapids being one of the most philanthropic communities in the country in terms of kind of a philanthropic giving to nonprofits and having, you know, 900 churches and almost 3,000 nonprofits. And yet the poverty needle hasn't moved in the U.S., uh, in Grand Rapids. And so part of it is just kind of coming to the realization, well, the track we're on is wrong. We, we can keep dumping money into a broken system, but uh, when we look at the outcomes, it doesn't appear to me that the needle has moved. And then this report came out saying, hey, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of economics for African-Americans in the city, it's the wor second worst of 52 cities in the country, Milwaukee being the first, Grand Rapids being the second. And that was across median income, um, business ownership and home ownership. So it gets three kind of economic indicators. And so, you know, if we say, well, that, for me, that's, that's kind of a root cause that I'm passionate about. Well, let's, if, if we can change the economic situation 
and create economic vitality, what will that do for generations to come? And so something that we've been trying to tackle is kind of this you know, concept, again, of social enterprise, using business, using entrepreneurship, in many ways, as the, as the primary way in which people move out of poverty is through business. And so how do we use the marketplace um, and the creation of commercial products or services to solve an economic problem? And so when I think about kind of shalom in terms of economics is uh, is many ways lived out in kind of our, our business mission statement, which is to create a a place where everyone belongs, develops, and innovates, right? If we can, if we can create spaces of belonging, we can create spaces in which there's access. Um, you know, not just that. That's when I even think about wealth creation. Sometimes it's maybe more like quality of life. It, everybody doesn't have to be rich. That doesn't solve all of the world's problems. Um, but there is a sense of when people are given a platform, an opportunity to use the gifts given to them. And then they have a sense that they've succeeded based on the effort that they've put forth and the dignity and the gifts that they've brought to the marketplace and then can participate in the vitality of those gifts. Wow, there's something beautiful about that process and then desiring to create it for other people. Um, And so we oftentimes talk about creating an ecosystem, creating the rich soil in which whatever new initiative or new business we create, the ecosystem is filled with the right ingredients, with the with the shalom. And so whatever we whatever we plant in that soil will flourish. So that yeah, there's something deeply um, relational about kind of what we do right if it's just so if the, if the why is you know we really feel like uh every every person is endowed with the dignity right every person has extreme um dignity and capacity um and we believe that every person really should be unhindered in bringing their fullness the fullness of their skills and their talents and bringing that to the table and then and then benefiting from what they bring, benefiting for that collective vitality. Our how is really like we do that through an extremely relational and intentional um, partnership. And, and part of that partnership is with people like us, not like us, who don't like us, and trying to build unlikely partners. And so uh, in our building is a 80-year-old, historical white institution uh, and, and Bethany Christian Services. And, and we also have uh, a hundred year old black institution in the local chapter of the NAACP. And so bringing this kind of global nonprofit and all uh, that they have to offer to the collaborative and all of the baggage and bringing a hundred year old black institution and all that they have to offer and all of the baggage. And being in relationship, being in proximity to one another and working together towards a collective vision. So we always say it's not about us believing all of the same things. Uh, We do care about seeing our city change. And so that's what we work on and kind of creating that optimistic vision in the midst of what can feel like chaos and and being relentless in that pursuit. of trying to 
play a pla- trying to be a platform in which everyone feels welcomed, everyone feels belonged, both individually, um, regardless of political persuasion, sexual orientation. I mean, we have a large group of people both working in the building, renting our space out from all different walks of life. And it has created a vibrancy here uh, that is, I think, uh, pretty unbelievable. You know, I haven't always been in such an optimistic place. <laughs> and, the, and the work of bringing together unlikely partners is uh, extremely challenging. Um, you know, James Allison said, um, you know, if you're doing your job well, then you'll always be a traitor to someone. So a, a couple things, though. One is there's, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit in me is, you know, it's it's gritty. <laughs> uh, and so it's it's continuing to occupy a space, even if it stretches you uh, and learning to even love it kind of thanking God for the opportunity because it's making you a stronger, more transformative leader. Uh, and I ask for that. And I, you know, me and God talk sometimes and he'll, you know, when I asked him to, hey, I want to be a, a transformative city leader, he, you know, I felt like the response from the spirit was, yeah, you don't really want that. <laughs> I don't think you know what you're asking for. Uh but, but I think in the, in the process of staying gritty and staying in the space for a long time, it's been 14 years of this work and just continuing to do it. I think the other part that I would say is um, you build relationships before you need them. And so um, not necessarily as a strategy, but being trying to be authentic is to always build relationships because I enjoy people. I enjoy listening to their stories. And later, five years later, sometimes 10 years later, that relationship that you've developed, you know, um, you're knocking on somebody's door, picking up the phone um, to be a part of something uh, bigger than ourselves. So. see the city as a playground. That's a beautiful metaphor, isn't it? I, just, I mean, there's, um, there's, there's few metaphors that uh, are, are this powerful when it comes to kind of thinking about city transformation. Um, I think even in part why the Leadership Foundation seemed to make sense to me was that it, it named things that my soul was trying to articulate. Right. Like uh, like rivalry and battleground versus playground. So one of the ways that we tried to name it ourselves and our first kind of um, social business, which um, was a landscape program really at the time. And we had, I think, 15 young kids who were in foster care in the juvenile justice system. And we're picking up trash and cutting lawns with donated lawnmowers, trying to figure out this thing. And, and we decided to take, this was 13 years ago to do, to, we took all of those young people on a, a day long strategic planning retreat to, um, to develop our mission statement. 
and I shared it already, but that they collectively came up with our mission is to create a transformative place where everyone belongs, develops, and innovates. And I and I feel like that's what a playground is. A a, a playground is a place to to belong, right? To be seen by others. Um, It's a place to create, uh, to try new things. Uh, It's a place to develop. There's some risk in it, in that development, uh, on that playground. Uh, And thinking, what, what, what if... What if our city could embody that reality for everyone? That it was a place of, our cities are places of belonging for everyone. Our cities are places of development for everyone. Our places are, they're the places in which people can innovate and, um, and benefit from the fruits of their labor. Um, and it's, it's hard but, but places of play are also extremely healing. Play is healing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think about like different places, both that, you know, place, cities being organisms, right? That you can help stimulate the culture and stimulate those type of things. Um, you know, I dream about continuing to create those places, give voice to uh some of those young people, right, that maybe didn't have a voice and yet inside of them is this beauty. And if you can create the right space, uh, healing can happen for our city. I was in Guatemala City and um, Guatemala City was kind of an emerging local leadership foundation and I got to play a role, I think, in some of the accreditation and got to meet Dave and you know, I was down there with Joel Van Dyke and I think Chris Rock and some other some of the other leaders. And somehow I got to invited to like tag along uh, on this trip to Memphis, uh, where there was a bunch of the leader, you know, Dave and Larry and again Joel and Chris. There was a bunch of other people too. And um I, I felt like I got to kind of see behind the veil. <laughs> Uh, I got to see a group of uh, much older and more senior experienced leaders who were really broken. I mean, they were really uh, in the middle of some some real challenge and struggle. And yet there was this like humility and optimism about them. Like there was an authenticity that I had never seen before. Um. And there was kind of this invitation for me as this young leader who also was broken and had been hurt by the systems and the injustices. And it, it seemed like perhaps that level of authenticity in its fullness was, in fact, what the world was missing. That, um, you know, it's kind of this idea is that you never can be um, anti-violent until you can understand your own extreme capacity for violence, right? You never can seek the, the peace and prosperity of the city until you recognize uh, that you have played an active role in dismantling the shalom of the city. 
So I, you know, I, I think it was the relational aspect and then the naming of the three functions of the building, you know, gathering and training leaders and building capacity and doing joint initiatives. Again, just name things that I was doing in a way. So just both the people, their authenticity and humility and optimism and the naming of the functions uh, kind of seemed fitting. And then I got a chance to spend some time with um, Dave and, and he asked me, you know, he said, to, you know, I think sit with this idea of, does it make sense to join work bigger than your own? And um, that has always rung true for me. No matter how impressive you think your work might be, um, there's always, God's always doing something bigger. Uh, join, join the work that makes your work bigger. And so LF has been that for me. It's, uh, it's challenging for me. It challenges me to uh, stay humble. Uh, to stay relevant, uh, and to stay active uh, in the work. Well, Rick, I didn't oversell it, did I? No, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, uh, what a gift. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, he's a... Yeah, it's hard it, when you listen to something like that that is so passionate, uh, so articulate. Um, he, he's inspirational and even aspirational, but with a kind of realism, right? I mean, you aren't sitting there kind of going, oh, I mean, yeah, that sounds nice, but who could ever do that? I mean, there's a kind of adhesive mm-hmm. to the way that Justin talks about some of his aspiration and inspiration. And um, the other thing that I, I think he, again, demonstrated beautifully is, is the way he weaves together, you know, both the text, the scripture, I mean, that which, you know, I think is important to his faith journey, but then also turns around and has his, you know, eyes and ears fixed, you know, on the latest trends that are coming around the corner. And how does um, you know, the Center for Community Transformation in Grand Rapids, you know, get into that space so that it can anticipate um, and get ahead of what's coming down the pike rather than just being reactive. Mm-hmm. Going back to, you know, the uh, series we did on non-reactive leadership, Rick, I mean, Justin would be a, a kind of poster child for non-reactive leadership. Um, yeah, I, I, I always find myself when I listen to him, going, yikes, um, I've got some catching up to do um, because he's, uh, you know, got both this gift, but this drive as well to uh, to get out in front and do something that's going to be pretty, pretty wonderful uh, if it's given the opportunity to thrive. So, yeah, you know, I, I recently read this phrase, Dave, um, uh, I just wrote it down in a, a little notebook I had that uh, this uh, author was talking about love, which we often talk about the love for a city, but he used the phrase propulsive love, that it's the kind of love that, you know, uh, it, it moves you, you know, and mm-hmm. it, 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 it propels you. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, I could hear that mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in what Justin talks about and uh, yeah. that it's not only just a love of a city, but then it, uh, that is the thing that actually fuels you know, the activity. And, uh, yeah. and again, that's, that's what's behind uh, seeing the city of Grand Rapids, you know, yeah. as a, a playground. 
Yeah, I think very close to that statement, Rick. I This is one of the things I've thought about with someone like Justin as well, but John Stott used to talk about that uh, effectively vision starts with a holy, H-O-L-Y, discontent mm, yeah. for the world or your community. Um, and I, you know, another way of saying that is something that Robert Frost said, where he goes, you know, I had a lover's quarrel with the world. And I, I think that combination, right. Um, where you it's holy or you, you know, you have love, but it, it migrates over into, well, if I really am in love with this thing, then I've, I've got, you know, a bit of a lover's quarrel to pick, right. There's some things that mm -hmm. I want to see yeah. improved. And, yeah, or there's if, some if things holy. that, yeah, yep. yeah, some things aren't as they could be. Yeah, exactly. so that, exactly. that's, that's great. Well, listen, at the end of our uh, podcast, if you're new to this, so we, we like to wrap up with the recommendation, um, something that might help us see the, uh, the city more clearly as a playground that opens our eyes to a city, uh, seeing it the way God does. So uh, sometimes we've had people recommend books or movies or experiences or uh you know, anything, anything that kind of has been an inspiration or a, a source of hope. And so we're going to have Justin offer that right now. You know, what helps me, what has helped me, I would say, you know, continue to be optimistic and to see the city as a playground. But, uh, you know, four years ago, I was um, and I had mentioned, you know, like it's, it's you're not always optimistic that I was in a pretty tough place dealing with staffing issues and loss of funding and this, it was, it, you know, the work is tough and it will chew you up and spit you out. Um, and so I, I, I felt like I needed to do some, I knew I was becoming toxic to my own organization, I think. Uh, and so I went up and, and, and to some woods, um, and I did a three day kind of no food, no technology, no music, no talking. So three days of silence. And, um, and that was the beginning of kind of a new rhythm for me. It shook me out of my stuff. I had to sit with my thoughts and not let them kind of come in and out, but sit with them long enough that they did in fact transform me. And so that's become a rhythm for me now is that, um, at least one day a week, um, I go and work kind of on the business or on the Shalom of the city instead of in the Shalom of the city, right? Instead of working in the business I'm working on, instead of working kind of in the city, I'm kind of working on it. So sometimes I go to the lake, sometimes I go to the woods, sometimes I go downtown. Uh, and it's a, but it's a full day of kind of discernment. And I always feel like that practice has given me a great sense of, sense of optimism to see and be thankful for what is instead of what isn't. Um, and so, yeah, that practice, I always encourage people, I call it a focus day or a clarity break, right? That really uh, allows you to get energized and to get strategic um, about your work. And, and so, yeah, that's, that, that would be my recommendation that has helped me stay optimistic about the city. Well, thanks, Justin, for your recommendation and also for the time uh, that you uh, set aside to be a part of our podcast. And, and Dave, uh, how in the world could we just keep making better podcasts every single time? <laughs> I, <laughs> that's, that's kind that's of self-serving. Right. But anyway, I, I sure enjoy it. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, appreciate the contribution that not only LF is making to this world, but that you and uh, 
and leaders like Justin for making to uh, my life as well. So uh, uh, thanks again for an incredible year. Can't wait for uh, episode uh, next. Thanks, Rick.